right. Hello, everybody. I, uh, well, we're going to get straight into the Bible because I get married in 13 days and my attention, my attention span, my focus is really short right now. I'm already a little bit like ADHD. And right now, every about every five, 10 minutes, my mind goes to the wedding and to marriage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so close. 13 days. And so we're going to get straight into the Bible. If you've got your Bible, you can open to Genesis chapter two. And uh, we're going to read two different places just real briefly to start. It'll just lay a foundation for where we're going to go today. And so the first passage of scripture we're going to look at is in Genesis chapter two. We're going to read verses one through three. The Bible says this, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What we're reading about is that on the seventh day after God had completed all of his work, he decided to take a day of rest. He called it the Sabbath. And I love this. I love this about our God that on his seventh day, on the last day, after doing all this work for six days, he decides to rest. I think it's a beautiful precedence that we have a God who chooses to rest. That in the midst of everything he could do or would do, he chooses to rest. I love it on the seventh day. And what we read just a little bit earlier on the sixth day is that God created man. God creates Adam and, uh, and he does that on the sixth day. And after Adam on the sixth day, on the seventh day, he rested. And I love this, that on the seventh day, God rested. But as I'm reading this scripture, what I'm learning is that what was the seventh day for God was not the seventh day for Adam. The seventh day for God was actually the first day for Adam. So the first day for Adam is a day of rest. And I think that in a culture where we kind of live for the weekend and wait till the weekend to rest and to lean back and to relax, I love that God says, hey, for me it's the seven day, but for you it's the first. That rest is not just about recharging and refreshing, but rest is actually the foundation from which we live. That it's that very first thing, it's kind of the launching place. God says, hey, rest, now go. Don't go and then rest, that's backwards. I think our culture has just kind of wrapped us up in this mentality that we, we have to work, 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 and then we can rest. And God said, hey, when I made Adam, it was a little bit different. It looked a little different. Adam rested first. Before he had a job, before he named the animals, before he got married, before he had Eve, he was all alone with God in the garden. And God says, you're going to rest. I love it. I think it's beautiful. The next verse we're going to look at is Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. And uh, where we're at in this passage, Jesus is going around and the fame of Jesus Christ is starting to spread. Everywhere he goes, there starts to be a following and a gathering. And in Luke chapter five, the Bible says this, it says, yet the news about him spread all the more. And it says all the more because Jesus was very clear in telling people, hey, tell nobody. Don't make a big deal about this right now. Don't tell anybody. But the Bible says the news spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him preach and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often or frequently withdrew to lonely places to pray. I love that Jesus, because with Adam, there's no other people. So when I, when I think about that story, as cool as it is, as I read it, I'm thinking, Adam, bro, you kind of had no other choice. Like it was you and God. Where else are you gonna go? What else are you gonna do? Uh, but Jesus was surrounded by a multitude of people 
obeying the Father, doing what He asks, healing and preaching and leading and drawing and attracting. And in the midst of all these signs and wonders, He chooses to withdraw and pray. Jesus, we love you and we give you these moments. And as we're in a series where you're teaching us about rest, God, we pray that this morning you would come and just continue to stir our hearts around this idea of being with you. That rest is only rest when we spend it with God. That true rest is birthed out of, out of relationship with you. Speak to us about this this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I'm a Colorado native. Are there any Colorado natives? Let me see. Oh, come on, we gotta get more excited about being Colorado. If I asked about Texas natives, the whole place would stand up and start clapping and screaming. And I think that when I ask about Colorado natives, we should have a little bit of pride as well. Come on, where are all the Colorado natives? I don't know if there's anything I'm more proud of than being a Colorado native. I just love the fact that I'm a Colorado native. Everything about me loves Colorado. I love the state. I love the, the terrain. I love the sports teams. I don't care how bad we are. I don't care how good we are. I love Colorado sports. I love the CU Buffs. I, <laughs> that always gets one of two reactions, either go Buffs or you're awful and we like CSU. Um, and I, I, I pray for CSU fans, but we have a big game on Friday. Anyways, I love CU, I love, the, I love the Rockies. And if you don't know, now you know, the Rockies are tied for first place and uh, this is their year. I don't know why I'm sharing this. I'm not advocating gambling, but my brother was recently on a trip to, to, uh, to Vegas and my, my 26th birthday was just two weeks ago. And he hadn't gotten me a birthday gift and I was kind of mad. And what he ended up telling me is, hey, for your birthday, I placed a $5 bet on the Rockies to win the World Series. If they win, you get $250. I was like, you're the best brother in the world. Cause now I'm like even more excited about the Rockies going to the World Series. I'm not advocating for gambling. I'm just saying like, I'm really excited about that bet. And I'm praying every night I'm watching the game on my knees. Like, God, oh, come on, it's only 250, but I'm excited. I love Colorado sports. I love the Broncos. The, the first Broncos game is the day after my wedding, and I'm so excited. I'm like praying that somebody will bless us with Broncos tickets for that first game the day after we're married. I don't know if Nicole will even want to go, but I'm praying that she wouldn't. I'm praying someone gives us tickets the day after our wedding. Where are we going to be at the Broncos game? Uh, I love Colorado. I love it. But there's one thing about Colorado, being a Colorado native, that should be in my DNA that I can't stand, and that's the art of camping. I can't stand camping. I love the idea of it. I love, and, and you're, you're not probably too dissimilar for me. I love the idea of camping. I love the idea of getting away, going to the mountains, shutting the phones down, being alone. I love that idea. I love being out in nature and being in the wilderness. I love the fresh air. I can't stand sleeping on the ground. I can't stand it. There's nothing about this. This is on a flat surface and I still wouldn't, couldn't stand it. But on rocks and in, oh, I hate it. I can't stand sleeping on the floor, waking up with this like divot in my back and I'm like paralyzed for the next three weeks because I chose to camp. And I called it like a good idea. You know, I don't like it. I don't like the idea of the, the day before you leave, you've got to get all your stuff gathered and you're like racing and stressing and running and gathering all the things, getting the food, which I don't even like food camped, cooked over a campfire. 
I don't like it at all. I don't like building the campfire. I hate building the tent. Building the tent is a dread to me. I do not like it at all. We do youth camping trips and I just keep myself busy while I ask the students to build the tents. I can't stand it. I don't like building them at all. And if I'm gonna sleep in this thing, I need like three air mattresses stacked on top of one another just to give me enough padding for my back. I can't stand camping. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. And the verse in the scripture we're about to read this morning where we're gonna spend our time looking at is in Exodus chapter 33. And although he's not camping, we read about a guy named Moses who in our faith is kind of one of our patriarchs. And, uh, and, and we read about him where he pitched a tent and he'd meet with God in that tent. And so if you've got your Bible, where we're gonna spend the rest of the day looking at is Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, verses seven through 11. The Bible says this, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. Now, he pitched the tent outside the camp because inside the camp were a rebellious people. Inside the camp were a disobedient people. Just one chapter before in Exodus 32, we read about the, the people creating this golden calf and beginning to worship and sacrifice to it. That's in Exodus 32. So then we fast forward one chapter, Exodus 33, and Moses is pitching a tent outside the camp some distance away, called it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to the tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So we've got this story, and, uh, and this is the beginning half. We're going to read just the very next verse in a minute. But we've got this story where Moses pitches a tent outside the camp, and he goes to it. And he goes to this tent, and he spends his time in it. And I'm, I still don't know why he goes to a tent, but I don't like this. I don't even like getting in it right here. I'm kind of claustrophobic. This two-person tent's a little tight. But what we read is that Moses went to the tent. And inside the tent, there was this relationship. There was this communication happening between him and God. The Bible describes it as speaking, as the way you speak to a friend, face-to-face, God would speak to Moses. So he's in this tent, and this tent to him is this set-aside, set-apart place to spend time with God. It looks a lot like the Garden of Eden when, when Adam was spending time with God. The idea of the Sabbath is to set something apart or set it aside to God. Because on, on the seventh day, the Bible says God rested, he called it holy. The word holy in the Hebrew is the word kadosh. And kadosh in the Hebrew means holy, it also means set apart. And in the Hebrew culture, when you say this word kadosh, you stand up on your tippy toes as a sign of reverence to the word, to it being holy. You also stand on your tippy toes to stand just a little bit higher to symbolize that the day is set apart. Kadosh, holy, set apart. That's what God called this space, holy, kadosh, set apart. So, so Moses would go into this tent and spend time with God, he'd inquire, and the people would watch, they would worship. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. 
Then Moses returned to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. If you're taking notes, what we're going to do today is we're going to look. It's so beautiful how the Bible lays this out for us. It, text, it, it sets the setting and the stage for what happens in the story. Moses going to the tent, spending time in the tent. This is really bothering me. I don't know if it's better in or out. I don't know what the... But what the Bible does, which is so beautiful... I also, I don't know why I'm even, this is no relevancy, but I hate sitting cross-legged. I don't, my back is, I don't know, there's something wrong. I am the least flexible person, so even just the thought of sitting cross-legged makes me hurt, but here I am. Uh, what the Bible does, Exodus 7 to 11, kind of sets the table, it draws a picture, Moses goes to the tent, spends time with God, and face to face. What I love about the Bible is that ends in verse 11, but in verse 12, it talks and records the intercession or the dialogue that Moses was having with God. And so what we're going to read, we're going to continue down in the story, we're not skipping any verses, we're, we're following the story into verse 12, just to take a look at what God was speaking to Moses, and at what Moses was speaking to God, as he was resting and spending time intimately with God. The Bible says this in verse 12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Another translation would say, continue to find favor in your sight. Remember that this nation is your people. And then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? If you're taking notes, the first point you can write down is you know me by name. The first thought or idea that we can pull out of this conversation that Moses is having with the Lord is that God knows him by name. The very first verse in there, it says, you have said, Moses is saying to God, you have said, I know you by name. Moses is telling God, you've said, you know me by name. And if we're, if we're not careful, we can read through that and be like, I know you by name, whatever. But this is a really big deal, especially now in a world that has billions and billions and billions of people. The God of creation knows your name. The God of creation says, I created you and I formed you and I fashioned you and I know your name. One of my favorite books in all the world, my granddad, he passed away just maybe a year, year and a half ago. One, he gave me this book right before he passed and uh, it, it's not necessarily biblical or spiritual, but it's, it's a book by Dale Carnegie called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And in the book, he lists a couple principles on how to win friends and influence people. And I love this one. This one has stuck with me so, so long. It says this. In quotes, he says, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any woo, language. 
there's so much power in a name. That's why we celebrate the name of Jesus, because there's so much power just even in that name. And, and, and I love the fact that God is looking at his people and saying, hey, I know you by name. What that communicates to me is intimacy. That's intimate to know somebody by name. I, we meet a lot of people at the church, and it's, I feel so bad when I can't remember somebody's name. Have you ever had that happen to you where you like meet somebody once, but then you go to the grocery store, you see them again, and you're like, ah, hey, and you start using all of these like generic terms, or even worse than that is when you're praying for somebody that you've met before, and you should know, know their name, but you don't, like you can't remember their name, so you're praying for them, and you start using like he or she or they, like these generics, like, God, I pray over this man of God. I pray that you would bless him, and internally I'm thinking like, what's his name? I forget his name. You know, you're praying for something specific, and you can't even use the name. It just feels so distant. I love that God in this scripture is saying, hey, I know you by name. I know you by name. I know you intricately. I know every little detail. I know your heart. I know your thoughts. I know your wiring. I know your makeup. I know what breaks you. I know what turns you. I know what makes you think. I know what makes you cry. I know what makes you laugh. I know all of it. And I know you by name. The God of creation knows us by name. And I love that, that Moses says that. I think he says it just to even remind himself of his identity as a son of God. God, you know me by name. I'm a part of your family. I'm a child of you. You created me. You named me. You formed me. You fashioned me. Even when I was in my mother's womb, you were doing things to work on me. I love it. You, you know my name. And then the second thing that, that he says, he says, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. You have found favor in my sight. I love that it's in this intimate place where Moses is spending time with the Lord that he encourages him and champions him and reminds him, hey, you found favor in my sight. Hey, Moses, and I think that just those words, you have found favor in my sight, begins walking Moses through this reminder of his life and his past. I think Moses begins to think on, oh man, there was a moment where I didn't want to lead, where I didn't want to speak, where I didn't want to talk. Uh, there was a moment where I had to go face to face with the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And even in that moment, God continued to push me and challenge me and urge me, just keep going. Pharaoh continues saying no. And God says, hey, you found favor with me. You know what I've told you. Keep on going. I think that it's the favor of God on our lives that keeps us running. I think it's the favor of God on our lives that keeps us going. I think it's the favor of God on our lives that even keeps us in a place of remembrance for what God's done in the past. Remember that past favor? Oh man, I know that life is hard right now, but remember the past favor. Remember that last time you were in a really dark place and I lifted your head up out of depression and I gave you joy. Remember that one place you thought it was hopeless, your finances were broken and you were lost and you were confused, you had no idea even how to manage your finances, you had nothing. And in that place you found favor. In that place I opened a door. The favor will give us new opportunity to follow God into our calling. See, God's opportunity, God's favor doesn't take us on some random journey. God's favor and his opportunity, his open doors, lead us further into the calling that's already on our lives. So what, what, what God is saying to Moses right now is, hey, you had favor in the past. Remember when I split the sea? 
That was the favor on your life. That was the favor on this people, on my people, on the children of Israel. If I did that for you then, I'm gonna do this for you now. It's the same favor. I love that Moses can even listen to that thought and just say, I am favored by the Lord. I'm a favorable person to God. God favors me. God chooses me. He looks at me with favor. He doesn't look at me with doubt. He doesn't look at me with questions and uncertainty. He doesn't look at me and second guess himself in his creation. He looks at me and says, hey, I favor you. Continue to follow me. God gives us favor. We continue to follow. We don't create favor. We have to be so careful in our Christian lives not to try to manufacture favor. I think sometimes in our Christianity that we, we try to work and slave away. And I was even reading to this one author and, and he was talking about the idea of rest. And he says, it's so funny how on this idea of rest, all the 10 commandments, he says, if I break any of those 10 commandments other than the the rest or observing the Sabbath day. If I break any of those 10 commandments, I go, I go to jail. But if I break the Sabbath day commandment, I get promoted. Like if I continue to work harder, I'll get promotion from the world. Yet I think this is the commandment that God's called us to observe and to keep. I think that God still believes in the power of the Sabbath day, still believes in the idea of rest because I think it's in the place of rest that we realize that we have to trust in the Lord. I think it's in the place of rest where we say promotion doesn't come from man, it comes from God. Opportunity doesn't come from man, it comes from God. Favor doesn't come from man, it comes from God. Favor does not come from me working my fingers to the bone. Favor comes from me being intimate in my relationship with God. And that's what Moses learned. Moses learned that right here in the tent. He learned that when I go in here, I find favor out there. When I separate myself from the world in here, when I get alone with God, when I build relationship with God, he blesses me in front of man. Because God always honors, he always exalts those who humble themselves. This is a humble place, especially in American culture. This is not a, a desirable place in American culture. I'm not talking about camping anymore. I'm talking about a set aside place for the Lord. I'm talking about a tent or a space where you dwell with the Lord. The way Adam did with God, the way Jesus did with the Father, the way Moses did. It's not desirable. It's not desirable. We have every excuse in the book, man, I'm so busy. Jesus was busy. He found a place. Moses was busy leading millions of people and he tells the people, hey, in the midst of all this work that I'm to do, I have to pause. I have to go. And I think that in our minds, we think, oh man, people are gonna judge me or think different. If I tell people I can't hang out with you because I have to spend time with God, they're gonna look at me so funky. Or they're gonna think that's a priority that should shift. Like, come on, you always spend time with God. Hang out with me. Like, you could do that later. Read your Bible before you go to bed. We have this thought that that's what people will think, but I actually think people res will respect us for spending time with God. I get that from Exodus. In Exodus, the Bible says when Moses went to the tent, the people stood outside and watched him. They observed and they worshiped. I think that if we can be obedient to this commandment, people will actually respect that and give glory to God. They will see the fruit that that has on our lives and say, I gotta worship God too. 
The people in Israel stood outside their tent and began to worship because they saw Moses and they knew his life. They knew. Man, when he, they saw it, the cloud and the glory and they knew when he goes in there, something happens. I don't know what happens, but when Moses enters that tent, God comes. The same thing is when Moses goes up on the mountain. He goes up on the mountaintop and spends time with the Lord, and the Lord speaks to him. He comes down, and his face is glowing. His face is radiating and glowing. People say, whoa. You spent time with the Lord. I think all the good things in life come from this place right here. I think it's the hardest challenge. I think it's an uphill fight. I think we have to battle. I think there's hard days. I think we have to be persistent. I think we have to keep running. I think we have to keep, I think we have to keep our priorities really in line to make this a priority. But I think that when we do, the fruit from that is amazing. Same thing Pastor Mike talked about last Sunday. John 15, when we abide, when we just abide, when we just Stay connected. When we keep connected to the branch, when we keep connected to the vine, to the source, everything comes out of that. In John 15, what Mike shared about last week is apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Those are the words out of Jesus' mouth. He doesn't say you can do a little. He says you can do nothing apart from me. Nothing. So what he's saying is you can continue to work your fingers to the bone. And all that's gonna result in is works that don't last in eternity. Efforts that don't really matter in the long run. Or you can abide, or you can dwell, or you can hang out. You can be with me, and I'll meet, I'll meet with you. The Bible continues, we'll keep going in the story. Point number three, point number one was, you know me by name. Point number two, I found favor in your sight. Point number three, you give me rest. I love the promise out of God's mouth in this text uh, in Exodus 33. The Lord replies to Moses and he says, my presence, it will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses is in this place. I think it's so funny that the place that I least find rest, a tent, sleeping on rocks, that in a tent, and it was probably more padded, but... In a tent, God says, hey, I will give you rest. Why would God say, I will give you rest, unless it was one of the questions burning in Moses' heart? You have to logically reason that Moses must have been restless. Moses must have been tired. Moses must have been weary. All these years of leading and serving and following God and trusting God, but working and working and people and people and golly, people. I think Moses must have been in this tent saying, God deliver me from people. It's funny how sometimes God's greatest gift can also become the burden. God's greatest gift to humanity is people. People is his greatest gift. That's his greatest obsession. It's his passion. He's passionate about his people. But I think Moses got to this place in this tent where he's like, I'm sick of people. I'm tired from the tasks. And I keep leading them and they keep building these golden calves. What are they doing? I mean, come on, this was a real dialogue that Moses is having with God. 
This isn't like the tamed down Christian version of the story. Moses is a real man having a real conversation with God. The Bible describes it as face to face the way a friend speaks to a friend. I don't speak to a friend the way most of us read the Bible. I speak to a friend very openly, very honestly. We have a conversation. It's not tamed down Christianese. It's a real conversation. There's good moments, sure. There's calm moments, sure. But there's some heated moments. There's some moments where we actually conflict. There's moments in your relationship with God where there should be conflict. Where you should have to wrestle with God and ask God questions and say, God, what are you doing? God, why did this happen? I think Moses is wrestling with God in this tent saying, God, not only am I, not only am I sick of people, but I'm tired. What you've called me to do is tiring. I want to tell you that what God has called you to do is tiring. What God's called you to do should exhaust you. You should be worn out. You should be giving God all of your energy, all of your effort. It should be exhausting. Moses is in this tent saying, and I think God's looking at him saying, it should be exhausting. You should be tired. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. It's the same command that, that Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary. I'll give you rest for your soul. I think that sometimes we look for Christianity to be this like, oh, I should never be tired. I should never be worn out. No, 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 no. That's not burnout either. We don't have to, I mean, there is real burnout, but we don't have to like label everything as burnout. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're just weary. Maybe you just need to come to Jesus as he says in Matthew 11 and he'll give you rest for your soul. That's the promise of Jesus over us is that he'll give us rest. I want to go to bed every night exhausted and worn out because I gave everything I have to people and to God and to the plans and purposes he has for me. I want to go to bed tired but I also want to observe God's laws in keeping that Sabbath, keeping that rest, finding that intimacy where I can connect with him. Jesus, uh, God says in that text, I will give you rest. You can write this down if you're taking notes. I said, in a world that advocates for Netflix and naps, it's only God who gives us rest. In a world that advocates for Netflix and rest, that's a big thing amongst millennials. We call it Netflix and chill. Like, it's a weekend. We got a Netflix and chill. Like, just watch Netflix, binge watch Netflix, your favorite show, maybe your favorite movie, and chill. Like, that's our way of rest, resting and relaxing. And, and that's kind of our culture. It's a world that, get, that, that tells us, hey, just take Netflix and naps. You'll be fine. I want to say that it's God alone. It's only God who gives us rest. Rest is not found in Netflix. Rest is not found in anything else other than in God. That's why in Jesus, we can come into this place of rest right here. And the last point, point number four, Marcus can come back out and do his thing. Point number four. Every time I say a new point, I like repeating the other ones. And Pastor Mike made the slides look that way as well, so I'm gonna do that. Point number one, you know me by name. Point number two, I found favor in your sight. Point number three, you give me rest. And the last point, point number four, is your presence makes me unique. I love this thought that we can draw right out of the text in, in Exodus 33. It's that your presence makes me unique. Now, I love that God knows me by name. I love that I have favor in his sight. I love that he gives me rest, but check this out. His presence makes me unique. The Bible says this in Exodus 33. It says, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. 
I love the way he's talking to God. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. We're not going without your presence. He goes on to say, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless, unless you go with us? I just hear him like a little kid talking to his dad. I remember, I've told this story once or twice. I'm not gonna tell the whole thing, but as a little boy, I played baseball. Growing up playing baseball, my very first, first year, I wouldn't run to first base unless my dad was standing next to me. I, I wouldn't run to first base unless dad would run with me. I would hit the ball and I would stand there. My dad would talk to the coach and be like, what's wrong with my child? Like all the other kids run to first base, but my son, he won't run unless I'm, unless I'm with him. And that's, I love it. It's a picture that we get in this passage of text. Moses says, unless you go with us, we can't go unless you go with us. We can't go into the plans or the purposes or the calling on our lives unless you come with us. Let's not get it twisted thinking we can go off and do all the Christian tasks and duties and service and make it to our calling. No, 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 no. We can't get where God's called us to go unless he goes with us. Unless you go with us, God, we can't get there. Unless you go with us, continues. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What else is going to distinguish us? I love this thought that Moses is thinking, God, we're not that talented. We're not that gifted. We're not that good looking. What else will set us apart other than your presence? Nothing. Nothing. What makes us unique? We have the spirit of Jesus. What makes us set apart from a world that's so broken and bruised and bleeding? Jesus. What gives us hope in the midst of all this turmoil and chaos and ridiculousness? Jesus. What keeps our minds sane in the midst of everything going on? Jesus. What keeps us faithful? Jesus. What keeps us following God? Jesus. What keeps us fulfilling our calling on our life? Jesus. It's Jesus alone. And Moses learned that right here in this tent. He says, God, I'm not getting out of this tent unless you promise to go with me. What has God said? I'll go with you. What does Jesus say right before he leaves the earth? I'll go with you to the ends of the earth. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. I love the promise of our faith that Jesus, the Son of God, from heaven, puts on flesh, comes to earth and says, I dwell among you. I live among you. I'm with you. You never go alone. You always have Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful. So grateful that the same thing that distinguished Moses and the Israelites from all other people is the thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. It's Jesus. It's you, Lord. Your presence, your spirit, your wisdom, your direction, your voice, your voice as our shepherd sets us apart from the rest of the world. I pray that for everybody in the room, myself included, that we would make this tent our habitat, that we would choose to live in the tent just like Moses did. But I pray Moses went, but Joshua stayed. 
I pray that in our lives, we would have that Joshua spirit that stays. I thank you that Moses led them out of bondage, but Joshua led them to the promised land because Joshua stayed in the tent. I pray we'd have hearts that want to stay in the tent, that choose to stay in the tent, that choose to stay in a place where we're connected with you. With every eye closed, just for the sake of privacy, I'd like to ask a question. I'd like to just ask simply, as I, as I communicate this message about rest, but also about Jesus, Maybe you're in this place and you go, man, I need that rest. I'm so worn out. I'm so weary, so tired. And I've tried rest in every other place, but I need, I need real rest. Or maybe you say, I had Jesus in my heart at one point and I was, we were good, we were flowing. But man, oh man, life, work, everything, it's taking me off track. I'm so worn out, so weary. I need to cry out to Jesus. If that's you, either one of those things. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus before, or you have, but you've kind of strayed away. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up to heaven? Beautiful. You just keep your hand lifted with every eye closed, just to honor these people. Jesus, I thank you for every hand lifted. I thank you that it represents a heart that's yielding to you. I pray that in this moment, God, you would give these people rest, but more than that, you would give them you, your son, Jesus. I thank you that you died for each one of us to have relationship so that we could go, so that we could do, so that we could be all that you've called us to be. For those that have gotten off track, God, I pray that the way you lead them, the way you shepherd them would lead them right back on track. They'd be realigned into all the plans, the callings, and the purposes you have on their lives. I thank you that like a shepherd, you'll just slowly prod them right back into, into alignment. If you've got your hand lifted, actually everybody in the room, if you just repeat after, after me, say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my future. I thank you that you died for me. Oh, come on, I can't even hear you. Are you praying? Let's all pray out loud. Come on, we can say it a little louder. We don't have to be so formal Christians where we have to whisper this prayer. Let's say this prayer, man. Say, Jesus, I thank you you died for me. I thank you that you're my savior. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you're my savior, that you're my Lord, and that you are good. And I choose to follow you today and every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we just give a huge round of applause for everybody who just gave their life to Jesus or just got reconnected with Him? Oh man, we love you guys so, so, so much. We're grateful that you're here, that you call this place home and family, and we're so thankful that you're with us this Sunday.